I want you to know directly from me that I never touched anyone inappropriately or made inappropriate sexual advances. I am 63 years old. I've lived my entire adult life in public view. That is just not who I am. And that's not who I have ever been. This week, a New York Attorney General released a stunning report concluding that Governor Andrew Cuomo, who you just heard uh, talk, had sexually harassed 11 women uh, in violation of state and federal law. The report summarizes interviews with some 180 people, 74,000 pieces of evidence, and contained findings that show that Cuomo inappropriately groped and made sexually suggestive comments to women, and uh, most of whom were state employees at the time. Politicians are calling for him to step down. We'll see what happens this week. And with us to discuss the issue of sexual harassment is Dr. Louise Fitzgerald. She's one of the leading social science experts in the country on this topic. She's Professor Emeritus of Psychology at the University of Illinois Gender and Women's Studies and a distinguished senior scholar in the psychology department at DePaul. Um, Dr. Fitzgerald, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I have to just, I, I'm always in, in awe of this. In, in this day and age where we have Me Too and Harvey Weinstein and so many politicians and, and celebrities who have lost their careers or had them badly tarnished because of their bad conduct when it comes to harassing women, why do men continue to, to do this kind of thing? Well, I'm, I'm tempted to say, because they can. Um, And that is really a large part of the truth. Not every man does it. No. Um, Some men are much more likely than others. But those who are likely to do it, do it because there's really no good reason not to. And, you know, I I sense, uh, Dr. Fitzgerald, that it's not necessarily a sexual conquest type of thing. It's not like they're trying to date these women. It's not like they're trying necessarily to have a romantic relationship. So then what are they getting out of it if it's not that? Well, you have to stop for a minute and think that there are multiple types of sexual harassment and actually what you're talking about is the most common type of sexual harassment it's we call it uh sexual or sexist hostility and you're right it's not about getting a date it's rather about putting women down by calling them nasty names or by um, uh, telling them that they don't belong in this workplace or making sexual jokes and trying to talk about their sex lives. It's really about putting women in their place. And that's the most common form of sexual harassment. The next most common form is pretty much what we've been hearing about Governor Como, and that's simple, straightforward, unwanted sexual attention. And these men usually do want sex, but that doesn't mean it's sexual in the way we 
tend to think about sexuality. Rather, it's using their power to sexualize a relationship that is not sexual. Well, you know, and when you have, you know, I, I guess I just think of, I look at uh, uh, Governor Cuomo. Uh, he's not a bad-looking man. He's an intelligent man. He is, uh, he's a p- position of power. Uh, he would probably have his choice of women otherwise. Again, going going at this, the why, and, and again, I'm not asking you to explain something that's kind of inexplicable, but, you know, he... It, the, the talking about sex and this like bizarre questions and it just you're right it seems demeaning it doesn't seem like he's there trying to uh, uh, get a date from them because if he wanted to do that there's a way to do that and I'm sure being a charming man he would know how to do that right absolutely and you're absolutely right it it is not about getting a date it is about exercising and enjoying the exercise of of his dominance of of his of his power and one doesn't necessarily even need to be aware of it to do it i mean i'm sure he would tell you no this is not well in the first place i didn't do it and if i did do it it wasn't about power or dominance or misogyny but but it is and it's titillating for men who who Hello? Oh, are we here? Uh Dr. Fitzgerald, I'm gonna can you just see if she's there? Um yeah, you know, I, I well as we are you back, Doctor Fitzgerald? No? No, oh, she fell. She fell off. Um yeah, one of the things that uh, that I think that I see that I have seen in the workplace personally, I've watched it. I've defended uh, people who have been harassers. I have defended women who have been uh, victims, and it just seems to me that it's just not about the thing that you think it is. And um, you never have a man say, "Wow, I really messed up here. I, I'm going to own up to the fact that I did something wrong." And and they just can't seem to see that this was offensive. Doctor Fitzgerald, are you with us now? Hello. With you now. Oh, hi. And hi. I would like to, I would like to add to that, if I may. Yes. Because one of the things we know about men who are highly likely to harass is that they lack empathy and the ability to take the standpoint of the other. It's a basic insensitivity to what the other person is feeling. And you you tend to see that when people will say, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to make you feel that way. But it's never about how do you feel. Right. It's all about them. Well, and is that, I mean, it seems to me to be quintessential narcissism. Um, or could, or narcissistic, put it. Uh, narciss, narcissistic tendencies. And, you know, one of the things that I have studied is I, I do family law, and it's really an interesting uh, thing to, to know when you're a family law attorney because you see a lot of narcissists in the system who get divorced. Not to say that you have to be a narcissist to get divorced, not to say every narcissist gets divorced, but when you have somebody who... <laughs> 
who does lack that empathy and who uh, you know is not going to engage in a in a relationship that is the traditional type of relationship that is you know, that we want in our lives. Um, you see these people, and it's it, it's that exact thing. And um, I mean, is is there also, uh, Doctor Fitzgerald? Is there also some point of insecurity in these men? And again, I, I'm saying men, women can harass, and I don't mean to bash men by 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 f- focusing on this. But are, are they insecure? Is that why they do this? Uh, nobody's ever studied that, actually. Hmm. Um, my in my personal experience, and by that, I mean having studied this and worked in the steel for 30 years, I don't think so. Oh, okay. I, I, the, the, and, the, and the men that I have met in these studies and in legal cases that I have done, if they are feeling insecure, it's pretty far out of sight. Yeah, <laughs> the opposite, maybe. Um, we'll come back. I want to talk a little bit more. I know, uh, Dr. Fitzgerald, you were involved in the Anita Hill um, testimony many years ago. I actually pulled up her testimony uh, in front of uh, the Senate, and it was uh, really interesting to listen to, to her testimony because after so many years, I remember hearing this was really the first time that I really saw a woman in a public setting detail these kinds of allegations. We'll play a little bit from that hearing, and then I'm going to ask you uh, to comment on some of them. You're listening to The Karen Conti Show, and this is WGN. We're talking about sexual harassment in terms of the Governor Andrew Cuomo uh, report that came out this week, and we're here with Dr. Louise Fitzgerald to talk a little bit about the whys and uh, and, and what you know what sexual harassment really is. Um, uh, Dr. Fitzgerald, we're going to play a little bit from the Anita Hill testimony. This was during the confirmation proceedings for Clarence Thomas for the Supreme Court. Uh, Anita Hill, if you remember this, if you don't, uh, because you're too young, uh, she was a person who worked with him while uh, she while they were employed with the EEOC and another agency, and she was asked to testify about some of her experiences with sexual harassment in him. Let's play a little bit of that. Professor, do you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth to help you, God? I do. Thank you. I was extremely uncomfortable talking about sex with him at all, and particularly in such a graphic way. I told him that I did not want to talk about these subjects. I would also try to change the subject to education matters or to non-sexual personal matters, such as his background or his beliefs. My efforts to change the subject were rarely successful. At this point, late 1982, I began to feel severe stress on the job. I began to be concerned that Clarence Thomas might take out his anger with me by degrading me or not giving me important assignments. I also thought that he might find an excuse for dismissing me. Dr. Fitzgerald, um, is this a typical type of uh, reaction to sexual harassment when you listen to her words? Absolutely. What, what Anita is, <laughs> that brought back so many memories hearing you, hearing you play that, um, but what she's describing is exactly what so many women do. Um, she basically tried to, this is a typical coping mechanism. She tried to avoid and deflect what was going on. She did say, I'm very uncomfortable 
talking with you about this, which is it's more straightforward. Um, but it's very hard to do that because of the fear that she is describing that all women in these situations have. He's going to get angry with me. He's going to hurt my job. I'm going to lose my job. And I mean, play that out. I'm going to lose my health insurance. I'm going to lose uh, my life insurance. I'm not going to be able to make my car payment. And you think, and then we, we ask, why don't women report sexual harassment? And it, it, because they are punished every which way for doing so. There's research that shows if you report an incident of sexual harassment, you're going to be much worse off in every way, psychologically, job-wise, and even with your health, than if you haven't reported it. Uh, it's uh, it's amazing. And, and, and that is something that I really think is important for people to know. And I'm going to tell a quick story. Uh, not too long ago, I represented a woman who was working for a major Chicago company. And she was it was it was more than just harassment. It was more like stalking because he would come to our house. He would show up uh, at, at, at the place of business, even when he wasn't scheduled. And he had done this before and he was doing it constantly. She reported it numerous times. They did nothing. Finally, I got involved. And you know what their solution was, was to say, all right, well, we're going to put you at another uh, branch that's 45 minutes away from your house, as opposed to right down the block, and we're going to leave him in his job. And, you know, it was amazing because we were dealing with a, a huge HR department, and I looked at them and said, why do you think that this is a solution? You're punishing her. And they, they didn't get it. Uh, and even even people who are trained, I'm sure, and educated in this kind of thing, didn't understand that that was not the solution to sexual harassment. Is it? Do you see that as as common? Um, I was doing a case just last month in which <laughs> the solution it was in a, a fast food restaurant, and the sort of day manager was harassing. All of these women, and so what did they do? They moved him to another fast food outlet where he could harass all those women. It just doesn't make any sense, you know, even just from a monetary standpoint, a person like that is a huge liability to a company. And, uh, Absolutely. and even in the face of that, even in the face of the, the, the bottom line, um, companies don't always get it. Um, you know, I, I know that a lot of companies will require periodic online courses, sensitivity training, and WGN has one where you go on and it mm-hmm. talks a little bit about, you know, what's inappropriate and what should you do if someone says something and what should, you know, what should you not do? And, and, you know, I, I mean, they're, they're interesting little, you know, we, we don't like to take them because they take up 20 minutes of your life, but do those things actually work in your experience? They are a complete waste of time. <laughs> and um, they're, it, it, people have been researching this forever. And they, I mean, think about it. Do grown men really need to sit down and go through computer slides to know that they're not supposed to grab their colleagues by the butt? 
I mean, it's just these courses, if somebody knew nothing about harassment, if they just sort of dropped down from the sky, they would learn what it is, okay, and they would learn where to go. It, 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 at least they should learn where to go if it happens to them. And so in some ways, these courses, they really have, I think, in some ways, more value for potential victims. But they have, they're not going to change any person who, was, who has the tendency to harass um and and the way that they do it with these online click through sorts of programs is the absolute worst way to do it if you're going to do training it needs to be interactive people need to be allowed to discuss the material they need to be allowed to ask questions um and possibly come to see things from somebody else's point of view, which harassers have a very hard time doing. Can you talk a little bit about the long-term effects of sexual harassment on women? And again, these are all different grades of sexual harassment. They're all different levels of it. Um, is, is there some study done on, on how the, what the long-term effect is on women, their monetary uh, compensation, their mental health, etc.? cetera? Uh. Where do I start? Yeah. <laughs> there are um, there are basically three types of outcomes or consequences that have been studied. And the most common of these uh, and what people often think about is the impact on their career, on their job. Not too many long-term studies have been done. But what we do know is that women who are harassed are more likely to be dissatisfied with their work, dissatisfied with their coworkers, dissatisfied with their company. They're more likely to look for other jobs, and they're more likely to actually turn over. And when they're still at work, they're less likely we call it retiring in place. There's a, a a withdrawal from the job itself, not because they're lazy or, or whatever, but because this is such a stressful operation for them now. And so, you know, there's absenteeism and there's tardiness. And, and this has been documented in literally hundreds of studies. Dr. Fitzgerald, then you go oh, to, oh, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to have to wrap up here. And uh, I'm, it was it was too big a question to ask, and maybe we need to continue the conversation uh, another time. But thank you so much for joining us, uh, Dr. Louise Fitzgerald from the University of Illinois, on the issue of sexual harassment.